At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1 uh, today. We've been there for several weeks now. We're going to continue to be there this morning. So James chapter 1. And you know what? One of the things that we've learned as we've been walking through the book of James is that James is written to the believer. James is written to those that have already come to faith in Christ. And he's talking about what the Christian life looks like. What should it look like for those of us that are followers of Jesus? How should we walk in a way that pleases the Lord? How should we walk in faith? How should we grow in our faith? And I don't know about you, but maybe you've lived the Christian life for a long time. Or maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm trying to figure out what this faith thing's all about. And I want you to know you're in the right place this morning. But if you're here today and you think that when you come to Christ that life is going to be all roses and unicorns, then you're believing something that's false. See, the Bible never tells us that coming to faith in Christ means that we're going to have a straight path. Living the Christian life is just like not living the Christian life in some ways. And the fact that there are trials, there are difficulties, there are hard times that we walk through. Right? Life is hard. It's full of trials. It's full of temptations. But the difference between the one that doesn't yet know Jesus and those that do know Jesus is that we get a different perspective. Like we have a different power that is working with us. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. The moment that you give your life to Jesus, the full power and presence of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And what begins is this process towards holiness. And sometimes in this process towards holiness, God has to change us. He wants us to get to the end of ourselves so that we see that all we need is Jesus. And this is a beautiful thing. But you know, one of the most challenging things as a Christian and as a, as a person is there's, there's a specific temptation that most Christians wrestle with and they don't even realize that it really is a deep-rooted sin. Especially as you're walking through difficult times, right? And this is, this is the sin. It's the sin of comparison. Right? It's the sin of comparison where we want to constantly measure our lives against someone else. Right? Where sometimes we give ourselves over to the sin of comparison and we seek to measure our lives against those that are around us. And either it does one of two things. If we're measuring our lives against those that are around us, it can deepen the pity party that we're walking through. We compare ourselves, oh, they have it so great. Oh, they have it so easy. Woe is me. Or we compare ourselves to those that are different than us that maybe we're a, a step up of and we look at their lives 
and it leads us to belittle them. We do this all the time. We do it at work. I'm doing more work than that guy. Why does that guy get the raise and I don't? I work just as hard, if not harder. I work hard so my boss gives me more, mo- more work. Less money, but more work, right? And so we fall into this trap of measuring ourselves against other people. We do it with our kids. Right? We look at our kids and we're like, hey, if you could just be like Johnny. Right? Can't you be more like Johnny? Like Johnny does his homework. We do it with our spouses. Right? We see other spouses interact with others. And we go to our own spouse and we're like, could, could you just be like them? Just be like them. Or we're like, hey, well, at least I'm not like him. You know, we do this all of the time. And this is a deep rooted sin that God doesn't want us to take part in. God doesn't want us to go through this life. God desires for us. God's desire for your life is that you live in contentment. That you look at what God has provided you and has put you in and you believe two truths. You believe God, what you've given me is good and God, what you've given me is enough. Everything that I have is a good gift from you and everything is enough. And here's the key. That contentment can only be found for those that are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then right now there's a God-shaped hole inside of your being. And you're trying to fill it with so many things and you're living your life unsatisfied. And it's not until you place Christ in that place that you feel fulfilled and you are right. I love what Paul says about contentment in in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes this, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And then this is what he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's learned the secret. The secret to being content is that you can do all things through Christ. Right? You can have a lot and you can have nothing. And yet in the middle of that, you can be content. Because this contentment gives us the ability, being in Christ gives us the ability to see that we are people in the hands of God, that God is using our life in a way to bring him glory. Right? That's the purpose of our life, right? The purpose of our life is to glorify God and to make him known. And so when we give ourselves over to God, we are like pawns in his hands that he is moving around the chessboard in order to bring about his plan of redemption. And so the secret to contentment is, God, wherever I am, whatever I'm going through, Whatever lot is before me, I know you are with me and you will give me strength and power to make it through. God is at work. And today, as we are continuing our series in the book of James, the series we've entitled, What Does Real Faith Look Like? What does it look like to be a true follower of Christ? One of the things that we're going to look at today is how do we live a life of faith in the midst of poverty and in the midst of prosperity, right? Those are two extremes, right? 
those that have nothing and those that have an abundance? How do we live a life of faith when we're put in this position? And so what we're going to see today is that mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. Right? It gets us away from the sin of comparison to living a life of contentment when we have a proper understanding of the possessions that God has given us. So let's look, turn our attention to James today. And we're going to see three truths and three ways in which we are to live out the life that God has called us to. Look at me in verse 9 of chapter 1. James writes, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So the, the first truth we see here is that in Christ, poverty doesn't define us. Poverty doesn't define us. James here is speaking to the Christian that's facing the trial of poverty, the lowly brother. And this idea of lowly, this word of lowly, actually has two senses to it. First, it's, it's the idea that this person has been brought low financially. So this person doesn't have a whole lot of financial resources. More, they're uh, coming to the end of the month and they're finding themselves in the red instead of the black. But not only are they financially low, they are spiritually humble. So their bank account is low, but their spirit has come to be humble before the Lord. And this position pleases God, do you see that? Let the lowly brother, the one that finds themselves impoverished, the one that finds themselves humble in spirit, let him be exalted. Boast in his exaltation. That should blow our minds. You read that verse and you're like, wait a minute. That, is, that goes against everything that I've ever heard in my whole entire life. Right, Everything in our world today says, do more, be better, work hard so that you get more money, so that you get a bigger house, a better job, a better family. And right here, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the one that's wanting and in need boast in his exaltation. This is such a foreign idea for Poverty and humility are actually, can actually be a part of God's plan. I, I love how um, Jeremiah talks about this boasting and, and our exaltation of our humility. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, this is what it reads. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. You see, the truth is boasting in Christ and in the grace that he gives us is entirely appropriate. It is appropriate for us to boast in the grace that God gives us. And so this boasting in this exaltation is kind of also twofold. It's a boasting in the spiritual status that they're currently in. Right? You're boasting in the fact that you have been made humble and that you are humbled by the Lord. We boast in that, but we also boast in our future exaltation. 
We boast in the fact that heaven is coming and there is a future time in which we will receive the inheritance that has been set aside for us. This is the idea that the person's living and with an understanding that this life is not as good as it gets. As, as fun as life can be here, this is not the land of the living. We live now in the land of the dying, where everything is moving towards death and decay. And for those that are in Christ, when we die, we go from the land of the dying and we are transformed immediately into the land of the living. Right? This is the one that lives with heaven in mind every single day of their lives. And sometimes people need to be brought low in order to experience that and express that. James later in chapter two, verse five, he says this, as he's continuing this idea. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Has, has God, not, God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Right, I'll tell you, there are times in my life when we have been financially in need. And I've never felt more close to the Lord than in those times. Because when I've come to the end of myself saying, God, if you don't do something, if you don't step in, then I know that I'm headed for ruin. And every single time, God has always, always, always stepped in. There's never been a time that God has left me high and dry. There'll never be a time that God will leave you high and dry. But when we come to see how little we really have and how needy we really are, that's when we turn to our Heavenly Father and we see how great that He truly is. So the person that finds himself in poverty, let them boast in their exaltation and the point is here is that this contrast between economic lowliness and spiritual exaltation shows us the side of God's kingdom that is different than the world. This is kind of like an upside down way of looking at life, right? Life tells us that you are exalted the more that you have, right? The more that you have, the more secure you are. The more that you have, the more set you are, the more satisfied you are. And God says the exact opposite, the lower you become, the more you actually have. The point is, for believers who are facing the trial of poverty, you should not be ashamed. In fact, you shouldn't even see yourself as though God is angry at you. You shouldn't see yourself as though God is punishing you. If you would have just been better or been different, then you must be right with God. Or you must not be right with God. You see, the trajectory of the Christian life it's not always to move towards the bigger and better. I'm going to say that again. The goal of the Christian life is not always to move towards the bigger and better. The goal of the Christian life is just to be where God has already placed you, where we're walking in faith, trusting in him that what he has given us is good and it is enough. I love how scripture gives us so many great examples of how to walk this life. 
especially as we are, 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 are tested in the area of our finances. I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, like finances are the thing that stresses me out the most. Right? And I've learned to continue to give that over to the Lord, over to the Lord. And there are some great practices that we see in Scripture. And I want to draw your attention to the Macedonian church. And I've read this passage before, but this passage baffles my mind that the power of God living inside of people would move them to do something that is so countercultural. Right, remember the story that, that uh, Paul has been traveling around trying to raise money for the believers that are suffering in Jerusalem. And as he's going around, he says, hey, there's this need. And so they begin collecting the offering to give to these believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, this is what we see. Paul writes, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I don't know if you caught that, but this Macedonian church, these believers were going through extreme poverty. They were walking through a time where they didn't know if they were going to have their next meal provided for them. And yet they come into this place, they hear of the needs of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And they, instead of doing what the world says, well, sorry about your luck. Hopefully someone else will provide because we got to take care of ourselves. Instead of that, it says they gave themselves first to the Lord. They said, Lord, here am I, use me, however. And then they gave not only of their means, but they gave over an abundance, begging to be a part of God's work in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Like, I don't know, maybe over the past two years or so, you guys have walked through some financial difficulties. And I'll tell you what the natural response is. Natural response when we go through financial difficulties is to circle the wagons, lock everything down, look in, inward to yourself, you hunker down and you try to be, protect everything. You, everything is scarce, right? You're hoarding this and you're hoarding that. You're, you have no ability to see anyone else's need because self-preservation takes control. That's not the response of a believer. Because a believer has the understanding that their father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The believer knows that God owns everything. Everything is God's. Our father owns everything. So we don't have to walk through life in fear. For God will provide. It is possible for us as believers, even if our bank accounts are so low, we can still be generous financially. So don't fight against God, what God has provided you with or don't fight against where God has placed you. You are where God wants you to be right now. And he's given you what you need right now. So walk in faith. Trust him that he's got your back and that he's walking before you. So that's how we respond to the trial of poverty but next, I want us to see how we're supposed to mature in our faith and our possessions when we think about and consider prosperity. 
Look at me in verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The second truth that we see is that in Christ, prosperity doesn't define us. Prosperity doesn't define us. After addressing the poor, now James wants to turn his attention to those that walk through the trial of prosperity. I meant that when I said that. Prosperity is a trial because the greatest challenge of wealth and affluence is that it gets you to the point of where you no longer need God. Right, you got everything that you need. My belly is full, my house is full, my bank accounts are full, everything is full, and we can run the risk of being tempted to say that I no longer need God. And so this is why James turns his attention to those that were affluent. For both in this church, the church that he's writing to, the church was made up of those that had abundance and those that had nothing. And yet somehow God calls us all to live together in community. And I want to make this disclaimer first too. Is that though being affluent is not a sin. Just as much as being impoverished is not a sin. But both of those have temptations that can cause us to take our eyes off of the Lord. So an effort to help us have a proper perspective over prosperity this is what James says. It's just like, keep it in mind. Like, realize that it's, never, it's not going to last. Right? That wealth is like a flower of the grass that passes away. That just the beautiful flower of the grass eventually is going to die. Right? The flowers that bloom in spring, sometimes by the time the heat of the summer comes, those spring flowers have already passed away. And James is saying, keep that in perspective that the same thing is true with your wealth, right? If your pursuit, if the pursuit of your life is to find security and significance in wealth, then you've gotten off track. Then you're not walking by faith. But if you're using the gifts that God has given, if God has placed you in a place of affluence, if God has placed you in a place of authority, then use that power and that position to advance the gospel instead of hoarding it and wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. Pursuing wealth is not a wise way to live because anchoring our hopes and our identity in money is foolish because it will not last. Much better to live as a believer like the wise words of Igur in Proverbs 30. If you go back to Proverbs 30, I love this because Igur, who is the son of Jacob, we don't know much about them, but somehow God allowed Igur to come to the place of having deep wisdom and understanding of how the world operates with God involved in all of that. And this is what he writes in Proverbs 30. 11 begins in verse eight. He says this, this is his prayer. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. 
In other words, what he's praying is, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Father, don't, don't give me riches so that I would live in a, such a way that I no longer need you. But Father, don't give me poverty so that I would be tempted to steal and defame your name. Does that make sense? Like, what a better way to live. Right? That's the prayer. Lord, help me stay content. God, let me be who you've made me to be, where you want me to be, and I'll do that. So, Father, don't give me riches or poverty. Which I, I think is the reality of many of our lives. Right? If we look at our lives and we were to do comparison... As Americans, we are the most affluent people in the world. Doesn't matter how much money's in your bank account. You are affluent compared to worldly standards. Maybe not to American standards. But we are rich. We have an abundance of stuff. Like you can go to a store and even with the supply chain all messed up, you can go to the store and our stores are still full of stuff that you can purchase. We are not without. But yet for us, like, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. All I want is you. All I want is you. So the mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. The someone that is mature in their faith understands that where they're at and what they have is, a, is of no significance. That our significance, our security, our understanding of who we are all comes from Christ. Thirdly, I want to turn your attention to verse 27. So go on down, and I, I, I feel like it's appropriate because uh, James, the way he writes a lot of times is he'll say a statement and then say a couple other statements, and then he'll say a statement that goes back to a, a statement that he made before. And so this is what he's doing here um, in this passage as well. He's, he's coming back to this idea of, of what we do with our possessions. And the third truth is this, is that in Christ, people are more valuable than possessions. People are more valuable than possessions. Look at verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James here is, is talking about not religion in a sense that we would see um, like a religious act, but he's, what he's talking about here is the Christian life. He's like, the, the Christian life, the true Christian life is not just something that stays inside of our mind or stays inside of our hearts. The true Christian life works itself out in outward acts. Not so that the person is saved, because they are saved, it works them out into their acts. And so religion, or walking in the ways of the Lord that is pure and undefiled, is to do this. Visit orphans, and widows in their affliction. We do this in such a way so that we keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, why would he say this? If you think about these two groups, widows and orphans, many times that's the population of our culture that is the most marginalized. Right? They're the ones that are ostracized. They're the ones that are pushed away because they don't fall into the nuclear understanding of a family. Right? There's, somehow there's dysfunction there. Right? The orphan no longer has parents. The widow no longer has a family. 
And so they're left all alone. They are people that are in the most need. And so he says, this is what it looks like. Like if, if, you're, if, if we stop pursue, trying to get out of poverty and if we stop pursuing more riches, if we stop doing that, then guess what? You have a lot of time on your hands. Right? You've, you've been freed up from those things that can strap you down. And so now that God has freed up those things in your lives, what are we to do? We are to visit the widows and the orphans. We are to care for people. We are to be moved with compassion to engage this death-decaying world. Not keeping it to ourselves. Because not only are we called to personal holiness, keeping ourselves unstained from the world, we are called to social responsibility. We are called to be Jesus' hands and feet in this world. We are called to move towards those that are hurting, move towards those that feel like they're all alone, and we are called to engage. We are called to make a difference. And how do I know this is true? Because this is the exact path that Jesus walked. We're only, he's only calling us to walk in the ways that Jesus walked. Right? Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, came to a world that was deeply marginalized, that was separated from God, that was rebels from God, that were headed towards a, a, an eternity in hell. And God came to us through Jesus. And Jesus stepped out of heaven, humbled himself to come and live among us. And as he did, he cared for the needy. He healed the sick. And all the while, while he's doing all this to help those that were lowly, he is preaching about he himself is the cure for the curse of sin. He himself is the answer. He is God who has come to us to help us. And so Jesus set aside heaven for a season of his life and came and sought us. But he also came sacrificing. He came sacrificing his own desires, his own will, so that we might be saved. And he willingly laid down his life on the cross where there was an amazing exchange that took place. All of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. Your sin and my sin, all of the punishment for all sin was placed on him and he endured the wrath of God and then Jesus died. And God saw his sacrifices enough that he raised him from the dead and so now Jesus is alive and those that place faith in Jesus not only have uh, forgiveness of their sins, but we now have peace with God. This is the greatest need of the human heart is to be made right with God. And now, Jesus calls you and I to share in that ministry. He calls us not to just come to faith in him and then live an isolated life where we're all by ourselves. He has saved you so that you may let your light shine before men and they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. That is the purpose of your life. The sadness is, is that many of us have allowed our lights to go dim. 
Many of us have stepped back into the darkness with our light and, and trying to cover our lights because we're ashamed or we're afraid. But yet, if we truly believe in the gospel, the gospel truly compels us to move beyond ourselves, to be moved with compassion. Christians are called to be cultural leaders. We're called to be leading the way and caring for the needs of the poor, caring for those that are marginalized. And today we have a great way as we're celebrating several things to really put these into practice. Right? Today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. We were trying to draw attention to the fact that God has given life to little babies and right now little babies a day in and day out are being slaughtered. Does that not grip your heart? But does it grip your heart enough to say, to move beyond, yeah, abortion probably shouldn't happen? Does it move it beyond yet? That? Does, it, does it stay in your mind where you say, yeah, I'm against abortion, and all you do for, to, to support your against abortion is that you vote for whoever political candidate is pro-life? Church, that's not enough. God has not called the politicians to end this atrocity. God has called you and I. I'll never forget there was a time in which I had an opportunity to sit with a woman in my office who had, was here on a Sunday morning. And she was like, I hear you talking about abortion and I know that it's wrong, but I was guilty of that. And she said, my life is so full of shame. And I apologized to her. I said, I wish, I wish, I wish someone would have been there to walk with you through this for you to see that that life that is inside of you is a gift from God and God has a plan for that young child and, and there is grace and there is mercy and even right now, like in your shame, like there's grace. But all too often, we're afraid to have those conversations. We want to distance ourselves away from those that are hurting when and yet God calls us to rush into those places. Yeah, it's dirty. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah, it's painful. But as Christians, we're called to make a difference. Maybe, maybe God is working in your life right now and and like the best way that you can make a difference is, is beyond praying. Praying is the greatest power we have. But for some, maybe your step is to move beyond prayer and be an answer to your prayer. To where God puts you in those places. I, I know my parents, uh, when they were younger, they had a heart for those unwanted kids. And so my parents were foster parents. And over the course of my, my life, um, there were over 50 kids that were in my home over the, over the years. And my parents had the blessing of, of adopting seven of us. And to be adopted by a family that loves me, being an orphan, and then being adopted by a family that loves me and they cared for me, I saw great love from my parents. I saw the love of Jesus from my parents. And I came to know Jesus as a result of the ministry of my parents. Like maybe God's calling you to step in that arena. 
to consider fostering. I'll tell you, that's a deep need because kids are hurting. And kids that are in the foster care system, no one's loving them. They see themselves as someone that's just moving through life here and there, and no one's really sharing with them love. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Or maybe you can connect with one of our partners, Gianna House. Remember, Gianna House is that house uh, that cares for women that uh, find themselves with a child and they wanna care for that child, but maybe they just don't have the experience or they don't have the time or they don't have a safe place. And so Gianna House is that. And so maybe consider connecting with them. Or maybe God's call in your life right now is to consider or to move towards serving in a short-term mission trip. Right? We've got to put our money where our mouth is. We've got to put our lives where our faith is supposed to be. And God does not, I said this a couple weeks ago, God doesn't want you to live at the back of the stage, hiding behind the curtain. God wants you to stand on the edge where God is saying, trust me. And you say, okay, God, I'm living right here so that if you don't provide, I know that I will surely die. Like that's where God wants you to live. Right on the edge. Saying, okay, God, what's my next step? What's the next thing that you want me to do? Mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. That we value people more than things. We, and we trust God in all of it. I thought today that we would end our service a little bit different, especially as we had um, our time of prayer and fasting, um, not this past week, but the week before that. And because of that, I really feel like I wanna move us to be more of a praying people and to create space and provide space for us to pray. So today, we're not gonna end our service in singing. Instead, we're going to spend time in prayer. And I want to lead us through three prayer movements. And this is an opportunity for you just to pray by yourself. Uh, if you want to and you want to pray with your, the person that you came with, that's fine too. Um, but we're going to pray through three specific things. The first thing that we're going to do today is we're going to spend a few moments praying through prayers of confession. Where we come before the God of the universe and we just confess our sins. Maybe you found yourself uh, as a result of, of being convicted from the word, word today that you're guilty of the sin of, of comparison, where you're constantly trying to find your own identity and validity in being better than others, or maybe you find your pity in the fact that you are not someone else or in some other place or have some other job. So maybe just spend a few moments praying prayers of confession. Maybe today there's a, a sin that has been placed in your life that you've been wrestling with. Spend some time confessing that today. So let's bow our heads. And first, let's begin praying personal prayers of confession. Father, we come before you knowing that you are a gracious God. You promise, Father, if we confess our sins before you, that you are faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Father, this morning we come confessing, needing to be made clean, needing to be made right. So Father, I pray that you would forgive us for not acting when we feel your spirit moving us or calling us to action. Father, we confess that our affections many times have been displaced. That even this week, we've loved other things more than you. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive, forgive us for living faithless lives where instead of trusting in you, we seek to fix things. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us for having impure thoughts. Father, forgive us for seeing impure things. Father, forgiving us for doing impure things. Father, forgive us. Father, we realize that you are worthy of all of our days. So help us, Father, to have our eyes looking to you. And now, take a few moments and pray the prayer of contentment. Just pray that God would help you be content with that which you have. That you would believe that what you have is good and that it is enough. Father, we continue to pray. We thank you for the good gifts that you've given to us. We thank you for the grace that you richly lavish upon us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be content, whether we have little or we have a lot. Let us be reminded that we can do all things through you that give us strength. And now pray that God would specifically move your heart towards compassion. Another way of praying is saying, Lord, how do you want to use me? Be so bold as to pray, Lord, here am I, send me. Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see. Eyes to see those that are around us that are hurting, those that are around us that are lost. And Father, I pray that you give us a heart of compassion after we see, give us compassion, and then move us to act. Father, I pray that we would not be believers that just simply believe in word and in thought but that we would believe indeed that you would move us to be your hands and feet, 
Father, Father, I pray for our church in this season of life, in this year. Father, would you move us to care for the needs of our community? And would you move those that are here today to show us where our personal area of responsibility is in this great call of making disciples of all nations. But Father, now as we go from this place, continue to go before us, continue to be with us, and continue to push us towards love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.